This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, y'all are in luck because... I will be chatting about 1993's Leprechaun, directed and written by Mark Jones and starring Warwick Davis. I am very excited to be talking about Leprechaun because I absolutely love this movie and honestly the whole franchise. But I'm also excited to talk about Leprechaun because it is a whole fucking franchise led by an actor with a disability. So this episode is going to be part talking about work and part talking about the film itself. And yes, I am very well aware that there are two entries into the franchise that do not feature Warwick, but when you think of Leprechaun, that's who you're thinking of. So I think it makes sense to start things off with talking about Warwick. As part of my prep for this episode, I read his memoir, Size Matters Not, and I'm going to be sharing quite a bit from that. I also listened to the Leprechaun episode of the Classic American Movie Podcast, which featured Mark Jones. I think it was from August 2020. They haven't had an episode in a while, so I'm not sure if the podcast is still going, Uh, but the episode on Leprechaun... And the conversation with Mark was really, really great. Although it doesn't um, necessarily go into a whole lot more than what uh, Warwick had kind of covered in his anecdotes from his book. I think it makes sense and seems like a logical place to start by uh, digging into Warwick's life leading up to when he put on the buckle shoes. So Warwick was born on February 3rd, 1970 in England. He was born with spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia congenita. And because I'm sure I just butchered that horribly, I will be referring, referring to it by its common abbreviation of SED from here on out. And that is a rare disorder of bone growth that presents with a short trunk, neck, and limbs, and is additionally characterized by a normal spinal column length relative to the femur, which can then result in some uh, issues with the spine. Some other issues that present are detached retinas, which Warwick himself has discussed having recently, and hearing loss. In his book, Warwick mentioned that he was born with clubbed feet, And now he had to have surgery as a very young child uh, on the tendons on his ankles. And this resulted in some pretty substantial hospital stays as a small child. Worth mentioning here that Work was the only member of his family with this condition. And his parents and younger sister were all of average height. 
obviously the book doesn't come with his medical records and it is information that we are not entitled to. And he doesn't go into a lot of detail of many of the physical challenges outside of short, short stature that he has to kind of deal with. But the bits that he does provide, I'll be sure to kind of sprinkle in as appropriate. I say that as a way to kind of issue the typical disclaimer that disability isn't a monolith. And there is essentially no such thing as a purely textbook example of a disease, a condition, or a disability. I will, very unfortunately, be circling back to this point again. So Warwick describes himself as being a handful, a small handful, as a child with lots of energy and rambunctiousness. He lived with his parents and younger sister outside of London, and at the age of 11, his grandma had heard an ad on the radio looking for individuals four feet tall and under to be extras in Return of the Jedi. Uh, maybe you heard of it. I think it's an indie film. So Warwick went to the edition and got cast as an extra, as an Ewok. The uh, person that had been cast as the, I guess, head Ewok in charge... Wicked, uh, named Kevin, had become ill, and Warwick had kind of been ushered into this role as a replacement. And everyone from George Lucas to his co-stars uh, to makeup and uh, even the teacher that was on set to uh, provide instruction to the kids on set just absolutely loved him. And he was a bit of a ham and he was a super fun kid to be around and also worked really, really hard because he wanted to make an impression, a good impression on everyone. And it's definitely a running theme for Warwick. And I think the fact that he has had a role in essentially every Star Wars film since, even reprising Wicked in The Last Jedi, speaks to the impact of that. So following Return of the Jedi, uh, Warwick did the Ewok TV movies and a couple of other things, including a small bit in Labyrinth, until he got his next big project, Willow. This reunited him with George Lucas and introduced him to Ron Howard. Davis was thrilled to take on the titular role and to show his face this time out. Davis was only 17 at this time, and this was quite the gig. It was also an opportunity to work on set with a very large cast of other little people as villagers, and this would be where he would meet his wife, Samantha. So Will came out in 1988, and while it was a hit, Warwick wasn't getting lots of work. His relationship with Sam continued, and she became pregnant. He got married when she was about five months along or so. Warwick was in a pretty rough spot financially due to some tax issues on top of all of the lack of work. And he was definitely feeling the pressure, but was doing everything he could to kind of get some stability 
for the start of his expanding family. In September of 1991, Sam gave birth to their first child, Lloyd. Lloyd tragically passed 10 days later. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be until they lost their second child, George, at birth sometime later that they would uh, kind of discover what was going on. And this was also through, you know, working with some specialists and advancements around prenatal and genetic testing. I'm not going to get into a lot of the grittier scientific elements of this, but it boils down to this. Sam has achondroplasia, which is a genetic disorder that is the most common cause of dwarfism. Sam and Warwick's children had a 25% of being passed down traits from both SED and achondroplasia, which was discovered to be a fatal combination for both Lloyd and George. But back to kind of the the story here. Reeling with grief from this loss um, and overcome with stress and wanting to work, Warwick decided to meet with director Mark Jones about the script that he had received called Leprechaun. Although the film wouldn't be released until 1993, it began shooting in October of 1991 and wrapped pretty shortly after in December. It took some pretty big names to make sure that Davis could even get a part on this project. Since he was under contract with Lucas at the time, he had to get special permission to shoot and then Vice President Dan Quayle's office had to speed up the process for Warwick to get his work visa on time. But Warwick was very excited to get back to work, and Sam was really excited to join him to kind of get away from everything that had been kind of going on and get a change of scenery in the States. So they flew over and began production on Leprechaun. So we have taken the long road, but we have finally gotten to our journey's destination of Leprechaun. So let's talk about it. The luck of the Irish is being packed and shipped to a little town in South Dakota whose luck may have just run out. Kill anything. What the hell are you? You just gotta know how to do it. <laughs> oh. 
It's out. It's out of the crate. Well, it just makes you feel good and takes you right back, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the plot synopsis. In 1983, Dan O'Grady returns to his home in North Dakota from a trip to his native Ireland, where he stole the pot of gold from a leprechaun he interrogated. After burying the gold, O'Grady discovers that the evil leprechaun has followed him home and murdered his wife. O'Grady uses a four-leaf clover to suppress the leprechaun's powers and trap him inside a crate. Before he can burn him, he suffers a stroke. Ten years later, J.D. Redding and his teenage daughter, Tori, rent the O'Grady farmhouse for the summer. Contract workers Nathan, his 10-year-old brother Alex, and their dim-witted friend, Ozzy, help repaint the farmhouse. While looking around the basement, Ozzy hears the leprechaun's cry for help and mistakes him for a little child. He brushes the four-leaf clover off the crate, freeing the leprechaun. The leprechaun tells Ozzy that he works as a shoemaker in Ireland, but came to America looking for his gold. After failing to convince the others that he had met a leprechaun, Ozzy spots a rainbow and chases it, believing that he will find a pot of gold at the end. Alex accompanies him for fear that Ozzy might hurt himself. A bag of 100 gold coins magically appears before Ozzy. After Ozzy tests the gold and accidentally swallows a coin, they stash it in an old well and plot to keep it for themselves, hoping to fix Ozzy's brain with the money. <sighs> At the farm, the leprechaun lures JD into a trap by imitating a cat biting and injuring his hand. Tori and others rush him to the hospital, and the leprechaun follows on a tricycle. Alex and Ozzy visit a pawn shop to see if the gold is pure, and the leprechaun kills Joe, the shop owner, for stealing his gold, and shines the dead shop owner's shoes before leaving. The leprechaun fixes himself a small go-kart and goes back to the farmhouse, getting pulled over by a police officer on the way back for speeding. The police officer gets chased by the leprechaun into the woods, eventually getting killed by the leprechaun in the process. The leprechaun returns to the farmhouse, where he searches for his gold and shines every shoe that he finds. After leaving JD at the hospital, the group drives back to the farmhouse. They find it ransacked, and Nathan checks outside, where he is injured by a bear trap set by the leprechaun. The group fights the leprechaun outside, ganging up and beating him up with sticks and stones. After finding a shotgun in the farmhouse, they shoot the leprechaun several times. When this has no effect, they attempt to flee the farm, but their truck's engine has been sabotaged by the leprechaun. After ramming the truck with the go-kart, the leprechaun terrorizes the group until Ozzy reveals that he and Alex found the pot of gold. Tori recovers the bag from the well and gives it to the leprechaun. Believing the worst to be over, they leave for the hospital. While counting his gold, the leprechaun is discovers that he is missing the last coin that Ozzy swallowed. Thinking that they have tricked him, he menaces them until Ozzy tells them about O'Grady, who was taken to a nursing home after his stroke. 
The group distracts the leprechaun by throwing dirty shoes around, which the leprechaun can't resist, but to go and shine them all. While Tori goes into the Jeep and drives off. Tori visits the home where O'Grady is to learn how to kill the leprechaun. At the nursing home, the leprechaun pretends to be O'Grady. After he chases Tori to an elevator, the leprechaun throws O'Grady's bloody body down the shaft as Tori flees. Before dying, O'Grady tells her that the only way to kill the leprechaun is with a four-leaf clover, which happens to grow in a big batch outside the farm. Tori returns to the farmhouse, where she searches for a clover until she is attacked by the leprechaun. Nathan and Ozzy save her. Ozzy reveals that he swallowed the last gold coin, and the leprechaun critically wounds him, trying to get it. Before the leprechaun can kill Ozzy, Alex takes a four-leaf clover Tori has found, sticks it to a wad of gum, and shoots it into the leprechaun's mouth, causing him to melt away. The leprechaun falls into the well, but his skeleton climbs out saying, I want to me gold. Nathan pushes the leprechaun back into the well and blows up both the well and the leprechaun with gasoline. The authorities arrive and Tori is reunited with her father. As the cops investigate the remains of the well, the leprechaun vows he will not rest until he recovers every last piece of his gold. Now, obviously, there's quite a bit of behind-the-scenes and background info to provide from Warwick's book. But um, I also, of course, want to talk about the disability representation in the film because that kind of factors in as well in a couple of different places. So I want to start there, but I want to take a, a break from Lup and Warwick for a minute and get into the Ozzy of it all in this film. So Ozzy is the character referenced as being dim-witted and is essentially a character with an intellectual or developmental disability, at least extremely coded and presented in that manner. And it's pretty awful in a lot of regards because it digs into a lot of the stereotypes of individuals with intellectual or, de or developmental disabilities. You know, honing in on kind of a, a childlike personality really goes into the infantilization uh, aspect of that. He has a kinship with the child in the film. They're friends. They're kind of partners in crime, um, which is obviously making a comment on that. He dresses uh, in a much more kind of childlike way. It's really on the nose and just not great. I say all of this, however, I really do like the character of Ozzy is kind of hard not to uh, enjoy the performance. Ozzy is played by Mark Holton, who I think most people will recognize as Francis from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but he was also in Teen Wolf, and he played John Wayne Gacy in, uh, I think it was 2003 that the movie Gacy came out. 
Um, and he's actually pretty good. Um, and, and I think that he puts a lot of charm into the character of Ozzy in Leprechaun. You, he doesn't really go, I think, over a certain line that makes the character just completely unbearable. There's, uh, kind of this undercurrent of he, he's the person that actually understands what's going on and has to struggle with convincing the others, which is usually a role that is uh, kind of reserved typically for the child character, the precocious child character like Alex in this film, which again is kind of keeping on theme here. But I will say again, I, I think that Ozzy is a rare example of the character that while embraces a lot of these stereotypes, to me at least, there's kind of an earnestness to the character. It doesn't necessarily go into a, a certain place that is just absolutely atrocious, where you kind of have to completely disconnect from the character. He does have moments of, you know, being a decent leader and being the person that knows everything before everyone else. You're, you're always kind of rooting for those characters. And I think the performance really speaks to that and gives it, you know, makes it a little bit easier uh, to kind of swallow down. The character of Ozzy does come back in Leprechaun Returns, which I want to say came out in 2018 um, via sci-fi. And they definitely kind of course correct here with the character. Doesn't go hard on the stereotypes, much more kind of nuanced approach, um, kind of I don't want to say a full retcon, perhaps, but you could kind of take it that way. Uh, but uh, And he's quite good in his kind of small uh, bit in Leprechaun Returns. So that was really nice to see because I did like Aussie in Leprechaun, and it was good to see him kind of uh, have, have a bit of uh, heft to him in Leprechaun Returns. There's no callback to the whole bit where Alex says that, you know, they want this money to have an operation to fix Ozzy's brain. And I, I was thankful for that as well. You know, it's one of those things that's in Leprechaun that you have to... I think it's put in the film and said by a child because... It makes it a little bit more, I don't know. It's just not great. I really struggle with this character because although I like him and I think he's, it's really kind of interesting and charming performance. The character is, to be perfectly honest, really unnecessary, but by kind of honing in and doubling down, on a lot of these stereotypes and tropes, it kind of makes the character even less uh, kind of necessary to the overall story. You could have had Alex doing 
about 90% of what Ozzy does uh, on his own. So I, I don't know. I struggle with it. I really like Ozzy. I'm glad that they steer away from a lot of it in Leprechaun Returns, but it really is, <laughs> it's hard, it's hard for me to explain to folks that this is really the piece of Leprechaun that I really have the most difficulties with because they're like, well, isn't Leprechaun just kind of a, a throwaway kind of film? And I kind of hate that approach anyway. I, I, I hate that that line of thinking a lot because I think it's, you know, no film is a throwaway. No film, you shouldn't be able to just kind of discount films that do some of these things because, well, they're not intended to do X or, you know, they're just, they're doubling down on the camp and on the ridiculousness of this and as kind of a, a point of, you know, making it okay, and it just doesn't work for me. It's, yeah, this is definitely my pain point, and it's, it's a big one. All right, so let's talk about LUP, and in order to do that, we have to talk at least a little bit, just for a moment, about the origin of leprechauns. And these go back in Irish kind of folklore history. They are kind of fairy or sprite creatures. I think it's, I think the origin is water sprite in nature. But, you know, obviously these folklores and mythologies continue to kind of grow and evolve and take on different um, kind of forms over the the decades and centuries. Some hallmarks to the leprechaun are the shoe thing. Uh, they are often portrayed as cobblers in profession. They are somehow rich, despite this not being the most glamorous of professions, thus how they are uh, kind of protecting their gold. And they are often seen as tricksters. So those are kind of the, the key points of a leprechaun. There's a whole history, in, in, and that's for another time and place in, in podcast. But we can see where some of that is embedded into the character of Lep. But probably one of the most defining characteristics of a leprechaun is their small size. Thus, the portrayal of leprechauns is pretty much strictly going to little people. Lots of fairy tales and folklores do have roots in ableism. And the leprechaun is an, an interesting example of how even if an original kind of conception of a, I, I guess, character, for lack of a better word, is not so strongly rooted in that the way that it, the way that the image of it shapes and shifts through time can often take on some ableist implications. And of course, these manifestations just continue to grow as these stories and these characters uh, play out over time. 
I'll link in the info uh, a book called Diagnosing Folklore, Perspectives on Disability, Health, and Trauma, because it does a really good job at, through exploration of some specific folklore stories, how disability is viewed and comes becomes part of a cultural identity. And the way that that all kind of comes together. It's a really, really wonderful book. And I think puts a much finer point on uh, kind of the point I'm trying to make here. So I definitely recommend checking it out. But let's really focus in on LEP in this movie. And kind of step away from the tangled history of the kind of mythology and folklore around leprechauns. We do have to hit on the aspects of infantilization as it relates to the character of Leprechaun. He's driving a child's toy as a vehicle. He uses a pogo stick, a toy, as a murder weapon. Especially for little people, for individuals of short stature, these are really kind of go-to ways of stripping individuals of maturity of experience, as well as simply being a form of othering. Not to completely diminish or push those issues aside, I remember thinking it was really kind of cool to have a character like Leprechaun on the horror scene. I'm someone of short stature. My condition is very different because it doesn't necessarily do with bone development and uh, bone growth, but more uh, related to endocrine uh, issues. So my body doesn't produce growth hormone. So I spent many a year uh, going through uh, clinical trials and uh, different things like that, doing daily injections of growth hormone uh, to get me to a whopping four foot eight-ish, nine-ish, depending on the shoe, the season my posture, I couldn't help but kind of appreciate the fact that there was now a horror character on the scene that I could relate to in a different way. Lep is a lot less central in this first film than I think a lot of people realize. It isn't until you get into the sequels that it really becomes Lep's franchise, where the story is around him and his shenanigans and the other characters kind of are there to be his foil. I do think that that is a good transition point to start talking about some of the behind the scenes stuff, the anecdotes that both Mark and Mark have shared about the film as kind of a, a, a nice light piece to kind of leave the discussion of Leprechaun on. Both Warwick and Mark have talked about how Leprechaun was a lot less humorous in its initial form. And Mark, in the podcast episode that I referenced at the beginning, talked about how the original script was really much more similar in tone and feel to the Leprechaun Origins film that came much later in the franchise and really didn't have anything to do with the uh, pre-existing uh, films and really the 
character of Leprechaun as we had come to know and love. But it was kind of the original concept of the film was really similar to that. When Warwick signed on, he really wanted to inject some humor into it. And Mark was really on board with this. And so the kind of character in the story started to take a slightly different shape. Now, it's important to note that this was coming out in... 1991. So we already had established characters like Freddy and Chucky that were our quippy and known to drop jokes uh, characters at that time. And so I think this is a really good instinct that Warwick had. Around the time that this film was getting underway in 1991, you had just seen the release of Freddy's Dead and Child's Play 3, so you had these really well-established horror villains with comedic streaks. And I think that it was a smart direction to go. You have someone with good comedic abilities with Warwick, and it's a really great thing that Mark saw that potential and really went in that direction. Although it's not completely surprising when you consider that one of the films that Mark references as kind of an influence to him making Leprechaun is Critters. Lep's makeup was designed by Gabe Bartalus, who at that time had done some pretty amazing work with Basket Keys 2, Frankenhooker, and the makeup took, I think, just over three hours to put on. And I want to say like 40 minutes or so to take off. So a pretty extensive process. Because of this time necessary to apply the makeup and take it off, Warwick and Gabe became pretty good friends. And Warwick talks about really enjoying kind of the time that he got to spend chatting with Gabe while they were putting on the makeup. The makeup did make it a little bit more challenging, though, for Warwick to connect with his co-stars between scenes. He's often asked about, you know, what was it like to work with Jennifer Aniston on set because this was her first feature film. And he talks about how she was really pleasant, professional, but it was just, you know, difficult to sit and joke around and have a conversation when you are layer down with all of the makeup and it just becomes a little bit of an additional obstacle. The farmhouse scenes of Leprechaun were shot at Big Sky Ranch, which is where the Waltons and Little House on the Prairie were shot. And this stood out as particularly kind of funny slash blasphemous, as Warwick calls it, uh, because he just felt it was so strange to have, you know, a horror film being shot where these really wholesome family dramas have been shot. There are a number of different cameos in the cafe scene in the film, including a shot of Warwick and his wife outside of makeup sitting at the counter. You also have Gabe as an extra and the director himself in the scene. So uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of go in and, and spot them if you're watching it. Both Mark and Warwick have talked a little bit about the wheelchair sequence in the film and how 
Mark had written it, not really thinking through the logistics of the shot and how it would all work. So when it came time to shoot it, they actually had to film Jennifer running in place because he weren't going to get the wheelchair coming at the speed that Mark kind of had envisioned and what the scene needed for that. So, uh, you know, they also talk about some of the other practicalities of, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about how, you know, would it be possible for someone to actually grab onto the handles of the wheelchair? What would this look like? How would this work? So it's a, a really, they don't go into a ton of detail, but it was a really kind of cool thing to kind of see how someone's disability played into how something had to be worked around and how something had to be approached in the moment on set. One of the things that really stood out to me as Warwick was talking through the franchise was there's kind of this perception that Warwick wanted to distance himself from the films. He wasn't really proud of them. And I don't think it was necessarily that. I think you have to keep in context all of the things that were happening in Warwick's life at the time. And so there's probably a, a lot of muddy emotions tied in to the project, but he speaks really highly of it, especially, I think, more recently. He's really come to embrace the franchise. And he even goes as far in the book to say that one of his favorite acting moments is, I want to say Leprechaun 4, yes, Leprechaun 4, Leprechaun in Space, the classic, where uh, Leprechaun becomes gigantic. And he had such a good time shooting that sequence where you know, he's kind of smashing through things and, you know, he is a giant. And it was a whole different kind of vibe for him. And he had a really good time. And it was just, uh, you know, something that has really stayed with him. And, and so I I appreciated that he was even able to go back to Leprechaun in Space and say, yeah, this is a standout for me. I think it looks good. I had a great time with it. It demanded some different skills. And I love it. I think it's pretty awesome. I think that's really all I have to say about Leprechaun. It was a small budget horror film that made more than its money back and really gave Warwick a, a franchise to sink his teeth into for a bit. Oryx's last venture into the Leprechaun franchise was with 2000's Back to the Hood. There's no talks or anything about him reprising the role. I think it would be pretty awesome. But who's to say what the future may hold and, you know, health challenges, all of that uh, can also be an additional factor. He's continued to stay super involved with Star Wars world and universe. I think as I inaccurately mentioned, he did reprise the role of Wicked, but not in The Last Jedi. I think I said it was The Last Jedi. It was actually the rise of Skywalker. And in The Last Jedi, he had played a different character. He often would be playing multiple kind of small characters in both the prequel and sequels. So 
Um, but he and actually his son Harrison was in The Rise of Skywalker as well, uh, playing Wicket's son, which I think is, is really cute. Now, around at the time that he was leaving the Leprechaun series behind, he was uh, getting uh, involved in another franchise, the Harry Potter franchise, playing a Green God's Goblin, but also Professor Flitwick. Warwick has continued over the years to be a passionate advocate for individuals with disabilities and, of course, individuals with dwarfism. He has done charity work to raise funds for children's hospitals so that they are equipped with equipment and resources. With his father-in-law, he started up Willow Management, which was a talent agency to represent small actors all under five foot, and then expanded it to include Willow Tall, uh, representing actors six foot ten and over. So really wanting to raise awareness and give, uh, you know, some opportunities to actors that due to their size, be it short or extremely tall, were kind of missing out. Warwick and his wife co-founded Little People UK and currently serve as president and chairperson, respectively. And their daughter, Annabelle, is also involved with the organization and she is an actor as well. She is probably most known for uh, being part of the children's series, The Dumping Ground from the UK. Of course, I should mention that with talking about Annabelle, and I think I mentioned Harrison earlier, uh, following the death of Lloyd and George, Sammy and Warwick were able to conceive and have two other children, Annabelle in 1997 and Harrison in 2001. Both have SED, like Warwick. They seem like a really sweet and close and very cute family. And so I enjoy kind of creeping on their social medias and seeing all the various pictures and stuff that they posted. Now, one of the things that I did watch a bit of in prep for this episode, just as, you know, it kind of started as something to have on in the background as I was writing out some, some things I wanted to make sure to cover, but I ended up getting really into was the show that Warwick did with uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant called Life's Too Short, and it's basically a fictionalized version of Warwick's life. And if you like the Ricky Gervais style kind of humor, it's really good. I think Warwick is hilarious in it. And I know it's streaming on HBO Max, and I know it's on BBC. I'm sure there's probably some other places you can uh, seek it out if you're interested. I, I had a good time with it. I remember seeing, I think, bits of it when it first came out not too terribly long ago. But uh, going back and revisiting it, I, I was like, oh yeah, this is actually not too bad. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. For some reason, I I didn't recall really getting into it, but I, I'm glad I checked it out again. In terms of future projects for Warwick, no, he's not going back to Leprechaun, but he is going back to one of his 
most iconic characters of Willow. And there's going to be a Disney Plus series continuing that story that, of course, he's going to be a part of. And then a bunch of uh, new actors coming into the world as well. I loved Willow growing up, so I will be there. Um, they released a kind of a cute little teaser video of him introducing some of the new cast. And it's honestly one of the things that kind of popped into my mind um, when thinking about life's, uh, life's Too Short because it's done in a very kind of tongue-in-cheek and uh, humorous way with him playing this kind of jerkish version of himself on set it's fun um it's all over the disney plus socials so uh check it out i'm excited for it we'll see how it goes but i'm i'm looking forward to it willow's a lot of fun and y'all i think that is going to wrap it up for this episode I hope that this has been a good time. Uh, I know that this is a slightly different episode. We talked about Leprechaun. We, we we discussed that film, but we also spent a lot of time talking about Warwick. And it's always really cool when you can also make sure that you're highlighting actors with disabilities in these discussions as well. And this was a really good uh, chance to do that. I am super excited for what is on deck for future episodes. So make sure that you are staying tuned and... The only way to do that is to make sure that you are subscribed to the Anatomy of a Scream feed wherever you get your podcast. So I know you're probably subscribed by now, but if you haven't, make sure you do so because tons of great stuff on the feed uh, beyond Bodies of Horror. And super, super honored and thrilled to be part of that group as always. Take a moment to rate and review because it not only helps other people find uh, Anatomy of a Scream and Bodies of Horror, but the feedback is always really helpful and informative. That feedback can help make episodes even better. So take a few moments if you can, if you please, please will, and and do us a solid there by, by giving some feedback via those reviews and ratings. If you want to reach out to me, that's always nice. I, I, I always welcome that. You can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. And yes, I am back on the Twitter bullshit. So you can find me on Twitter at bodiesofhorror. So, yeah, you know, I'm going to be easing back into it slowly but surely. The time away from Twitter was nice, but, you know, it's always uh, a good feeling to kind of get back into, uh, you know, connecting with other people again, and you realize a little bit that that you kind of missed it. So uh, I'm back on Twitter, so follow uh bodies of horror. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, hold up. Wait, this is editing Nicole. And before I bring in the lovely sounds of flashback 81 to sign us out of the episode, I do have to mention the story. I kind of left you guys hanging. I said I had a story about, uh, 
my dalliances in a Power Wheels car. So I want to make sure I, I, I don't want to be hanging. I don't, I, I can't be a tease like that. So when I was younger, uh, for Christmas, I got a Power Wheels car. It's, you know, the battery operated cars. And mine was a Bigfoot. So it was a Power Wheels version of the Bigfoot monster truck. And I absolutely loved it. I drove it all over the house. I knocked over our Christmas tree, all of the regular shenanigans. But one day, my mom was at work and we had a babysitter. And I was upset about something. I think I was mad at the babysitter for doing a thing. I have no idea. And so I decided that I would get into the Power Wheels car and drive to my mom's work and let her know what was going on. So we lived uh, near the sheriff of the area. And so as I was making my way down this road to go into town to get my mom at work, uh, the sheriff passes by and they stop and the sheriff comes up and says, well, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I'm like, oh, well, going to go see mom at work. He's like, you know, that's not a smart idea and you should just turn it around and go home. And realizing that he wasn't going to let me go on, I turned back around. I got back home. And the next day, he came by our house and talked to mom about what had happened. And so the car ended up being locked away. And I could only play with the power wheels in the yard when mom was around. So, the scene in Leprechaun when he gets stopped by the cop while driving the Barbie car is basically a page out of my life. Really, the only difference in narratives here is that I was a small child and Lep is a mythical being. Both take place in rural areas around the same time frame. So, you know, as the youth would say these days, I felt seen. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure I circled back on that story for some reason, because why not? Uh, I hope that it gives you a chuckle. And now I will bring in the sweet sounds of Flashback 81. Until next time. Scream Pod Squad.